Guru Nation, welcome to episode 427 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, Chris and I uh, share a snippet, a presentation snippet from our Site Owner Academy on basically something that's kind of confusing. It's the difference between an add-on site and a backup site when it comes to clinical research sites and study participation for clinical research sites. So very technical, very inside baseball, but also something that's never talked about really. I mean, I don't ever hear this being discussed whatsoever. So it's good that, uh, it was a good idea that one of our Site Owner Academy uh, members had this topic in mind. So check it out. Check out links in the show notes, link to the Patreon channel, five bucks a month, includes a monthly mastermind, includes weekly videos on how to get more opportunities uh, for yourself using social media. The monthly mastermind is great. We all meet up once a month, virtually everyone in the Patreon channel. It's only $5 a month. So link in the show notes, patreon.com slash Also in the show notes, we got links to the CRA and CRC Academy both stronger than ever especially now with more uh, virtual work I think more people are interested in these kind of online courses although the CRA Academy has an internship which under normal times is in person as well as remote right now during COVID it is mostly remote check those out in the show notes if you want more studies for your site or maybe you even need help starting a site text me 949-415-6256 now hope you enjoy the show go learn what some of the differences what some of the subtle differences are between add-on sites and backup sites talk to you soon all right so welcome to another week of the site owner academy <clears throat> this is actually, Chris, I haven't even looked at the slides, but there seem to be a great topic. What do you think yeah, about these topics? I completely agree. Great topic for Site Owner Academy. So this definitely is something, definitely something yeah. a site owner can understand. That's right. So welcome, everybody, on Instagram Live as well. So the topic is know the difference between a backup and an add-on site in clinical research and how it affects you. Okay, so uh, it's actually something that this is a very practical, pragmatic lesson, okay, because people don't really talk about this, but there is a big difference between being an add-on site and being a site that uh, is a backup site or a new site, right? Like those are the three different type of sites, a backup, add-on, or a new site like for a new study. So we're going to go through these slides and kind of explain and demystify these things for you. So uh, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride and a juicy topic. Buckle up, everybody. All right, I'm buckled up. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so is your site a backup or an add-on site? Okay, so some sites become concerned when they get designated as either backup or add-on. Now, I think both of those are a victory. I think add-on site is better because you're guaranteed to be allowed to participate. With a backup site, you're just what it sounds like. You're a backup. Should another site not accrue 
or another site drop out of the study, then they're going to activate the backup sites. An add-on site is also known as a rescue site, and these are sites that get added to the study after the study has already started at most sites. So that's why they're called add-on or rescue sites. They typically come in when the sponsor realizes that the enrollment projections are not going to be met with the current sites, so they need to bring on new sites. And sometimes this means they're activating their backup sites. So it could be very confusing because you are you could be a backup site that then becomes an add-on site, or you could just be an add-on site without ever being a backup site. So it's all a matter of applying and and your timing of the situation. So question for you, Dan. Um, in your experience, I'm sure this is going through some people's mind, and maybe maybe we cover this later, but I want to ask now. Um, in your experience, have you ever been a backup site? Yeah, yeah, How I've been guys? all. We've been we've been all, all of the above. So. When you've been a backup site, how often are you then added to the study? Most of the time. Most of, Most the, of time? the time. Yeah. Okay. Most of the time you're brought up as an add-on site at some point during the study. Why? Mm-hmm. Because 90-something percent of trials never in, never accrue on time. And then the sponsors get upset and, uh, you know, they get panicked because they're wasting millions of dollars a day, literally, on some of these big studies. And so every day costs millions of dollars to them, so they want to activate their backup sites. I'm monitoring a study right now where we're late in the game. We're like in the eighth inning of, of accrual, and they're still activating new sites. Wow. Right? Because they want, they want the enrollment to be done before this year's over. Right? So... It's kind of like bringing in a relief pitcher in baseball, you know, in the eighth inning. I mean, you've got to finish the game. You've got to finish the game on time. We can't go into extra innings here. So for those who don't understand the sports analogy, uh, what Dan's saying is they're looking for a total of about 200 patients enrolled in the study he's working on. They only need like 20 more, but they're still bringing on site to get that last point. That's right. But And it's confusing what a backup and an add-on is. Sometimes they're the same. The difference really is, as a backup, you're not actually guaranteed or you don't know when you're going to start screening, if ever, because you're not activated. As an add-on site, you're just joining the study late, but you're getting activated right away. That's the big difference. Uh, being either is not bad. There, I, I think both are good. I mean, it, either one is better than not getting the study. That's right. Being either is not bad, but there are things you can do to get activated before it gets too late. So Chris and I are going to discuss that. What do you think are some things, like, you want to give well, people a sneak peek as to what are some so, things they can do? So in my experience, um, you know, definitely experience being a backup site. Um the best way to kind of quickly get activated is to be kind of a nuisance. Um, and not overly so, but call frequently. Like every other week, give whoever's responsible for the backup sites following them, call them every other week and say, hey, um, any opportunity to be uh, activated? Um, how much longer do you think it'll be? You know, we have a lot of patients that are itching to get in this trial. And you always want to throw that in there. 
you know, if we have patients from the study that really, really want to participate, mm-hmm. and you may lose them, right? You want to put yeah. pressure on them to activate you. Another thing I like to do then that I have done in the past is tell them, tell the sponsor, hey, we have another study with this indication that we're screening for, and, but we're getting a lot of good patients for your study. Unfortunately, we're not activated, so we're putting them in the other study. Yeah. Again, you're putting pressure on them. Right. Right. Because the last thing they want to hear is that, you know, they're not activating you, so then a competitor is 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 gaining some momentum over them. Because of something they can control. Yep. And I mean, you gotta know, like, you know, if it's a bluff, they can call your bluff, but if, if it's, if you really have that situation, which I've been in both, I've bluffed before, and I've actually had that situation happen, uh, you know, the, the sponsor does want patience, they want the data, so, if they see that you have patients and that you're interested in doing it, sometimes it's just a matter of timing, sometimes the CRA is on vacation for a month and can't activate you or sometimes somebody else is gone and they can't get you set up. Sometimes it's out of your control, but the more you can control, uh, the better your situation will be. Somebody on Instagram saying both backup and add on site will also change the budget distribution. So the mid-level CRO has to plan accordingly and also considering EC charges, Oh, ethics committee charges. So IRB approval charges for approval of the protocol and, and subsequent, yeah, subsequent amendments. So yeah, it's a financial decision for the sponsors, right? But if they see the opportunity is there, they're going to do it. But very well, good. My, it sounds like, sounds like somebody that works at a sponsor or a CRO. So in my experience, I've always been activated as a backup site. Every time we've been placed on backup, 100% of the time we've been activated at some point. Um, and again, the difference between backup and add-on, add-on site is where they're just going out finding more sites. And it's just like at the beginning of the trial. You're never placed on backup. You're just activated. Right. Uh, there have been times where my sites were um, backup and not activated because the study ended uh, or the sponsor canceled the study. But, yeah, most times you are a- activated. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we could go to the next slide if you want. Backup sites. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. Backup sites are usually brought on at the same time as other sites. You're not allowed to start screening. Um, so that's a little bit confusing. So, in my experience, or the way I would understand brought on, well, yeah, I guess that's right. So brought on would be yes, you're you have your site selection visit. Um. You're just not activated. So I guess in this in this regard, brought on is the site selection process, right? Right. Uh, I guess what's intended here. So yes, you've gone through the site selection process. They know they want to utilize your site if needed. So that's that's the big part there. If needed, right? They're going to use you if you're needed. They already have all their the sites that they wanted to activate initially. And if at a later time they feel they need more sites, then you'll be activated. So, um, is there anything to add, Dan? No, I mean, the, you're brought on, the word brought on is just, you're brought on the insight selection. You probably do the budget. You probably have done the startup regulatory. You probably just haven't been given the SIV yet. Uh, and so you're a backup site, right? When you're an add-on site, 
you're brought on later, but sometimes they just add you on and and they activate you immediately. They're, you're not a backup site. Right. You, you don't go through that process. You're just an added on site. Here, we, we need you now, right? We want right. to get the other sites up and running now. Exactly. Um, exactly. And when they're adding on sites, typically they didn't have any backup sites to begin with. Or they've already added them on, one or the other. Um, anyhow, these sites, these sites is on, this site is on standby in case the sponsor needs more sites. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. Somebody's sites, asking, somebody's asking on Instagram, do we need to document somewhere, like in the site qualification visit reports, regarding status of the site? So yeah, I would say like being a CRO as well, I would say if you know, if you already know that the site is going to be a backup site at the SQV, that's going to go in your report. Site is a backup site, site to be activated when sponsored deems appropriate, something like that. Most backup sites get activated. And Dan and I have already discussed that. That's true. Anyone in charge of the contrast should pay close attention. Anybody... Anyone in charge of the contract should pay close attention to fully executed contracts. Most contracts allow you to fill sponsors for your fees before the SIV, but there are some that don't trigger until after the SIV. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say it's actually about 50-50. Um, once you have a fully executed contract, about 50% of them will allow you to select your startup fee, for example. And mm-hmm. then I would say 50% of the contracts, they did not allow you to invoice your startup fee until after you had your SIP. Um, in my experience, I could be off on that, but in my experience, it's about 50-50. So, um, certainly, if you have an indication that you're going to be a backup site while you're negotiating your budget and contract, take that into consideration. Um, as Dan was just saying to somebody who was asking the question about you know, at the site selection visit as a CRA, if you know at the time they're going to be a backup site. So as a site, if you get wind of that, that you might be a backup site, when you negotiate your budget and contract, make sure it says after fully executed in the contract, you can you can invoice for these fees. Don't want it to be at SIP, because if you never get activated, then you cost yourself some money that you could have collected. Right. So just make sure that the terminology is in your favor. All right, go ahead, Dan. No, yeah, I have nothing nothing to add. I mean, it's confusing, but uh, let's see. What's, we're on slide three still, right? Most yeah, contracts allow you to bill sponsors for your fees before. Yeah, I mean, you'll know you'll know if you're a backup site, or at least you should know. Like, the sponsor will usually tell you, or the CRO will tell you at the SQV, uh, hey, you're a backup site right now. But you can still do a contract, and you can still do – Everything, startup regulatory, you can still bill for the activation stuff, like all the startup stuff, uh, once your contract's executed, like Chris was saying. But uh, you don't always know this, though. Um, because sometimes they just they do too many site selection visits, and then after the fact, they realize you don't need all of these sites right now. So then they then put people on backup, or sites on backup. So right. you don't always know a site selection. That's that's correct. They don't always tell you right away, you know, but the, if it takes a while for you to get activated, you should start asking, and that's where you start getting persistent. Hey, what's going on? We need to get activated. What do we still need to do? What is still pending? Sometimes there's things pending on your end, 
And because your site is not getting things completed, you're going to be a backup because you're being slow on, on, um, on, on all the startup stuff. Absolutely. All right, next slide. And following up, I mean, I got to do another video. I know I was at the office yesterday with you and Rosario. We did a couple videos. We didn't do our podcast, but I haven't done a follow-up video in, like, years. And I think people are forgetting. People are forgetting how important it is to follow up on everything, not just on getting studies, but on getting activated, on getting your budgets done, on following up with patients, on following up with physicians. I mean, let's not forget, just because 2020 is here and it's one of the worst years ever, let's not forget about following up. Probably should follow up more than ever. Just a little rant. A little rant and getting sidetracked. Uh, add-on or rescue sites. See, this is different. Add-on is not backup, okay? Add-on or rescue sites are added after the study has started and after all the early sites are activated. I would almost prefer, and I don't know if you would agree with me, Chris, but I would almost prefer when I'm a new site to be an add-on site. Because if you're, like if, let's say you got a study and you're in the same pool as everyone else. The sponsor sends out the site qualification uh, survey. Then they come do the site selection visit, but the study hasn't started yet. So now you have to wait for all the sites to be selected. This could be a matter of months. All the sites need to be selected before they activate them. Then they do an investigator meeting. So we're talking like maybe six months, maybe even nine months before the study starts. Well, if you're a new site, and, and that's through no fault of your own. That's just because you have to wait for all the sites for the sponsors to get ready to start the study, right? I'd almost rather, if I'm a brand new site and I really need cash flow, I'd almost have, I'd almost be a add-on site. Or not almost. I, I would prefer to be an add-on site because I know that the study's going to get started right away because the study's already going on. So they're just bringing me on right now. And all I got to do is get my startup regulatory and my contract and budget and, and all the training and all the SIV stuff out of the way. Hopefully that just takes a month or less and then they could activate me and then I could start screening and then I could start having revenue. So people, when they go on clinicaltrials.gov, look at the active recruiting studies and look at those like, oh man, it's too late. I'm not going to get that study. If you're a new site, I would rather have that study than a new study. What do you think? So you're, you're absolutely correct in the fact that if you're, if their study is ongoing and they're adding sites, well, that on sites get activated much quicker uh, than sites that come on board at the beginning of the trial. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. It can be months at the beginning, and it's usually weeks, a few weeks, if that, when you're an add-on site. But if you are a new site, I think going through the whole process, including the investigator meeting, is important, especially if uh, right. you have little experience. So if money is not an issue, I would rather start at the beginning just so I, I get that experience of an investigator meeting and all of that. Right. Um, but if money is an issue, which it is oftentimes, and certainly an add-on site is much better. You're activated and you start screening much more quickly. Especially for new sites that need cash flow. Like cash flow is the name of the game. Whatever business you're in, cash flow. Without cash flow, you're done, right? So you need cash flow 
I'd, I'd prefer to be an add-on site, but you're right. It does help to go through the whole process of the investigator meeting, getting activated, but sometimes those things take so long, you're eventually going to go through that process anyways. So I'd prefer being an add-on site. Now, the con of that is, so, so that's the pro, is quick startup, quick revenue coming in, if as long as you get activated quickly. The con is you don't know when you're joining. Maybe you're joining the study in the eighth inning. And so maybe by the time you figure out how to recruit patients, the sponsor is done with enrollment. So, you know, that's that's one of the cons there of being an add-on site is you got to really get up and running quickly and start screening and randomizing, like, really quickly because if you're towards the tail end of the study, you don't want to get you don't want to get your momentum when the study's ending. So that's going to do you no good. And that literally does happen because that happened to us once, in which we were an add-on or a backup site. We were added on, and probably within two weeks of being added on, the study was closed. Yeah, yeah. So that definitely happens. People say on on Instagram, it makes sense. Yes, exactly. This is cash flow, guys. Like this is business. It's business for the sponsors, business for the sites. Um, what's his last bullet point here? What is this image? These people are climbing on a mountain, helping each other up. Well, it looks like uh, that's not social distancing. Okay. <laughs> when the sponsors don't have backup sites, they look for add-on sites. Yes. And then the last bullet point: the goal for these sites is to boost enrollment. Sites that do well may gain recognition from sponsors or CROs. This is true. So boosting and enrollment. Here's the here's a risk. Here's a we need to take a perspective from the sites that are not add-on or rescue sites, from the sites that are established and already in the study, already recruiting. You think that you figured out the pace of the sponsor? You think that okay, you know, if I enroll one patient a month. At this current rate, we're okay because this study accrual is going to end like next year. But now you got to read the newsletters because in the newsletters, if, if the study has newsletters, they will tell you we are, we just activated three new sites in Europe. We just activated seven new sites in the United States. Every month, if they keep activating more and more sites, some of those sites are going to start screening and the rate that you got comfortable at is not going to be the rate that the study is going to accrue at. And so you got to pick it up or else you're not going to, you're going to miss out on revenue. So this affects add-on and rescue sites also affects the sites that are still, that are not add-on or rescue sites. It affects the total accrual. It's competitive enrollment in most studies. I got a good comment on Instagram. You want me to read? Sure. And then we go to slide five so people don't get bored. But, uh, yeah. Someone said, I had an add-on site where the CRCs were new to research, and I am telling you they were able to catch on quick. So, yeah, what you're saying makes sense, and the PI already has a good relationship with the sponsor. That helps, too. Yeah, and that's if they catch on quick and all these add-on sites get activated, all the current sites that have gotten used to the pace that they're at, because let's let's face it, Chris. I mean, nobody talks about this, but let's talk about this. Let's just put it out there. Sites prefer steady cash flow, okay? So sites are almost disincentivized to enroll quickly. So as long as 
everyone else is at a certain pace, whether or not that's that's below the sponsor's expectations, collectively the sites don't really care because they're comfortable at that pace and they actually prefer that the study be delayed a little bit, right? Because sites, that means they have more time to get paid and they have more time to accrue their patients. So it works like their interests kind of work against uh, the sponsor's interest, even though enrollment is competitive. You know, that's like, that's like a dirty little secret in this industry. Sites don't really care if studies are behind on enrollment. They really don't. They actually, I'll go out on a limb and say they prefer those cases. Oftentimes I would agree. Yeah, well, nobody talks about that, though. You won't hear that at DAA. You won't hear that at, you're going to hear about patient centricity and about decentralized trials. You're not going to hear about this real stuff, but this is what sites think. And sites, of course, there's always going to be the one site that tries to, tries to be the outlier, you know, ahead of everyone else. So then that does motivate, there is a little bit of, um, of, um, I guess, uh, a market for this. So like you have the top three sites that are picking up pace on enrollment because they're trying to impress the sponsor. So then that motivates the middle sites to start screening faster. But if those three sites stop for whatever reason, then those other sites can say, okay, you know, we can either like try to increase our pace to be the top enroller, or we can just be comfortable where we're at, and we can slow down also. So sponsors are aware of this to a degree because they do incentivize. There's certain ways they incentivize sites in their, in their contracts at times. For example, some will provide a bonus if you randomize a patient in the first 30 days. Um, hmm. And then others I've seen where they give you a bonus if you enroll so many patients among some, uh, according to some timeline, right? You enroll right. 10 patients within three, the first three months, you'll get this bonus. If it takes right. you six months, you get this bonus. So they, they are aware of this and they do try to incentivize the site. Yeah, but that, that only incentivizes at the beginning, right? No, like, like I said, we had one contract. This was with Kellogg, as a matter of fact, uh, one of our PIs. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have put his name, but I did. Um, yeah. Shout out to Kellogg. Yeah, there was, we had a contract. Um, under him, in which that's what they did, right? If you randomize so many patients in three months, you got a bonus. If it took you six months, you got this bonus. And it was a significant number of patients. It was like 10 or 12 or something like that. Yeah. So you got to think, if you do that across the whole study spectrum, all sites, you'll, you'll complete enrollment much more quickly if everybody qualifies for those bonuses. Yeah, and that sponsor, but that's unusual. That's not the norm. Like that sponsor was very progressive, always looking for ways to, you know, think outside the box, negotiate creatively with their sites. And for those reasons, they're a really good sponsor, one of the best ones we've ever worked with. Yeah. But that's not the case in most of them. Sure, and I would agree. It is not the case. So, so once sites get comfortable, uh, because I'm monitoring a study. So go. yeah, Rod muted everybody, but uh, not you. But he muted me because I'm actually a guest on this thing. Okay. okay so, uh, let's see, slide six. Wait, what is this? Read where we left off. I don't know where we're at. The beginning. Hang on. We're on slide five somewhere. So we're, not we're talking about add-on and backup sites in research for the Site Owner Academy right now. 
Let me know what you think about this. Let me know how you're doing on this Thursday afternoon. Second half of 2020 is going to be major as far as activity. I think that's where we were at. Climbing again. That's where we were at. Slide five. I don't know what slide that is. They don't have numbers on it. Getting out of here. The one after the people helping people up the mountain. Yeah, getting out there you go. So yeah, you talk about this because you you love this topic actually. These sites should do whatever they can. Yeah, these sites should do whatever they can. What do you think? Yeah, I I would agree. Whatever you can. Um. Yeah, as it says here, get your budget done, training, regulatory documents submitted. The quicker you have these things done, the more likely you'll be activated. I mean, they're not going to activate a site that don't have does not have these things done. Um, right. So yeah, absolutely. Get everything done and, and oftentimes they do have an order. And what I mean by that is the sites that have these things done first are first in line, right? So maybe they have 10 sites that are backup sites. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if one site is delaying getting things completed and three other sites are done, well, those three sites will be first in line. And I think that is how they do it. Or it might be more geographical. I don't know. I got a question. I got a follow-up question from Instagram. So they're asking, the site that got comfortable enrolling, did they meet their target enrollment and stop enrolling? No. So there was no target enrollment. It was unlimited. The, uh, you know, there was no cap. They were one of the high enrollers. They were the second high enroller out of like 17 sites. I think it had a lot to do with COVID. COVID like shut down that site almost completely. Um, so in this case, I think it was COVID. And now in some cases, the sites either meet their enrollment and then maybe they don't want to renegotiate their budget to screen more. Or maybe they just ran out of patience, right? Or the PI maybe ran out of interest in that study. Um but in this particular example I was talking about, I think COVID really stopped their momentum completely. Sorry, Chris. No, that's fine. So if your site is a backup or an add-on, don't be afraid to put pressure on your CRA or project manager and ask them if you can get activated. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of already touched on this, but I certainly not think... The pepper method. Yeah, and, and putting pressure on the on the uh, CRO or, or sponsor to understand where your site is at and what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, as Dan had said, you could use a bluff or it could be the truth. And I do think that works. What about uh, the Dr. Pepper method that requires a lot, like to be highly caffeinated? When you really want something, you can use this for anything, but you can use it in research too. Use it sparingly don't do this all the time but do it for very important things the dr pepper method when you need to follow up you start at 9 a.m you end at 5 p.m or whenever the company who you're reaching out to opens and closes and you call every 15 minutes all right they will it will not take long for them to get back to you well that's if they're not responding to you so if you're getting, if somebody's answering the phone each 15 minutes that you call, you probably don't want to employ this. You're going to aggravate people. 
Right, right, right. Yes. So you you stop when they answer you, like when they answer the phone and say and give you some information. For example, if you're trying to get activated, you know, you you find your CRA's phone number and you call them every 15 minutes until they give you an answer. Yes, I'm going to activate you, or no, I'm I'm we're going to wait for a month. Right. Use it sparingly. You don't want to use this every day and all the time. Use it when it's important. It's the Dr. Pepper method. I learned it from a really old school business guy, and uh, it does work. I mean, it really does work. It's a powerful tactic. It could backfire as well because you're going to annoy somebody. They could see it as being persistent, uh, which may not be a bad thing, uh, but it will get results one way or another for you. Definitely will. In certain circumstances, it's certainly necessary. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if, if you're owed money. Oftentimes, people don't want to uh, conversate with you. It's yes. Food sponsors and CROs. This is about the only time I would use this method personally. Is if I know they don't want to talk to me because they owe me money. Um, and I know that's why they're not talking to me. So, yeah, it's time to employ the Dr. Pepper method. Because you, know, you want your money. And uh, it's okay to aggravate people then. If you're looking to be awarded a trial, I don't know if I would use Dr. Pepper, but yeah, you could try. Okay, the big takeaway. Try to be one of the first sites to submit budget training and regulatory documents. Avoid site activation delays at any cost. Any delays can leave your site as a backup. Add-on sites with delays may end up getting activated at the end of enrollment and fail to enroll. That's really the worst thing that can happen. You have so many delays at your site. You're an add-on site, or sorry, you're a backup site. You're now being asked to be an add-on site. You have all these delays. By the time you get activated, you have like literally a few days left to screen patients. And uh, so you do all this work, you get nothing, no revenue. And that's that's that. I mean, are there questions from Instagram? Are there questions from the Site Owner Academy? If there's not, we will end the recording. If there are, we will continue the recording until we start getting questions about different topics. Because this Site Owner Academy, some of the stuff is private. So, you know, if it's about this topic, let us know. If not, let us know you want to talk about something else. And then we're going to end the Instagram. Instagram live stream and uh you know keep it keep it private keep it private for us site owners in the site owner academy i'll be back on instagram don't worry guys any questions about the presentation today rod said sometimes being the high enroller is not bad uh but sometimes the 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 top enrollers stop enrolling because they don't want to be on the top of the list right Yep, more likely for an FDA audit that way. Right. So somebody said, so now with the pandemic due to COVID, can sites use telemedicine? Yes and no. Like, when it's practical, they can. But we have a lot of sites that are get. we have a lot of new studies. We just asked this question this week to a sponsor. Hey, can our uh, physicians see the patients via telehealth? And the sponsor flat out told us no. We require in-person patient visits. So, you know, sometimes they'll let you. Most often, they're not going to allow that right now. 
especially this study is complex and it involves a lot of questionnaires and assessments from the physician. So it's not like a general medicine study where you can just give patients like patient reported outcomes. Uh, so it's a more complex study. So, hey, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, And also go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, You can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.